right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. Welcome to today's Ask a Professional Scrum Trainer session with John Coleman. I'm Lindsay Velasina with scrum.org and I will be your moderator today. So let's get started. Next slide, please. All right, so your microphones will be muted throughout this session, um, but we do want you to be asking questions. Um, can actually start now populating your questions in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. Um, and we will be answering those questions throughout the session. Um, please, um, please ask whatever questions you have. We will try to get to as many questions as we can and any questions that we don't get to on this session, we will answer um, after the webinar. Um, I will share those with John. So please, um, please, don't be shy and ask your questions. Um, next slide, please. Okay, just really quick intro um, to scrum.org. We are the home of Scrum and we're founded by Ken Schwaber, the co-creator of Scrum in 2009. Um, our mission is to help people and teams solve complex problems by improving how they work through higher levels of professionalism. We are focused on helping people learn through free online resources and activity-based live training led by our more than 340 professional Scrum trainers around the globe. Um, we also have our professional Scrum certification tests that allow people to validate their knowledge um, through our globally recognized certifications. Um, but we support people wherever they are in their learning journey, um, helping them to grow. And I hope that this session um, helps you with just that. And with that, I will hand it over to John. Thank you so much, uh, Lindsay. I'm delighted to be here. Just a little bit about myself. As you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from Ireland. Uh, I live in England. I've been living there for uh, quite a few years and I've got four uh, children, not really children anymore. They're uh, bigger than me, some of them. So a partner to Magda. I call myself an agility chef because uh, the metaphor is sometimes I go into an organization and uh, after talking to the people involved, we might have some fantastic ideas about what we need to do. And then we open the metaphorical fridge and there's not that many ingredients. So we have to kind of try to cook a dish with maybe not as much uh, as maybe we would have liked. Um, I'm a professional scrum trainer. I'm also one of the uh, two core stewards with uh, Todd Miller for PSM2. I'm also a professional Kanban trainer and I'm a less friendly scrum trainer. Uh, large scale scrum is one of the uh, descaling frameworks out there. Um, I've got a background in software development. As you can see from my gray hair, I've been around for a while and I started in mainframe programming, I went on to uh, normal software development on PCs and networks and so on. And I actually did some app development before the, uh, the iPhone came out. So, um, but got more interested in software again in recent years. So. Every Friday with some other curious people, uh, I try to mob on C-sharp to try and take the rust off my technical skills. My more recent background is in non-software, uh, currently in marketing, uh, although I do have a client now working in the tech space as well, uh, but also science and engineering as in physical engineering. I'm very curious about executive agility and authentic agility. And so really when I'm trying to help clients, um, I'm trying to understand how serious uh, the client is about achieving authentic agility. Um, so that's, uh, that's about me really. 
So over to questions. Yeah. So um, yeah, time for some questions. So I'll start with these um, two questions that came in around goals. Um, so how do you properly define a product goal? Yeah, I, 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 that was a nice change in the 2020 uh, Scrum Guide. They added the, the product goal and they made it a commitment as well to the product backlog. And my personal opinion is it's uh, it's almost more important than the sprint goal because that gives us a direction of travel, gives us some focus. It supports the focus um, for, for the Scrum team. And uh, in terms of uh, how do we go about it, um, I learned from a man called Dr. Lance Secretan. He talks about the difference between motivation and inspiration. And uh, he says, uh, he wasn't talking about uh, motivating yourself. He's talking about, you know, if you want to motivate other people or inspire other people. He said, motivating people is like uh, lighting a fire under them, getting to do something that they wouldn't do of their own volition. Uh, give them a bonus, a character stick or whatever. Whereas inspiring people is more about lighting the fire inside them. So when I work with product owners, uh, what I tend to do is, um, uh, Stefan was a product owner I worked with a few years ago. And what I did with him was, we used uh, the elevator pitch from uh, Jeffrey Moore, Jeffrey Moore uh, you know, for uh, who, which customers and users, um, who need what, what are they looking for? Uh, what's the name of the product that we're offering? What is it? Uh, how would you describe it? That is a what, that, that does what. And uh, unlike what people might think it is, uh, and then we've, we'd have some competitive advantage statement as well. And I really like that. Um, it's very useful for the vision as well. The, the vision is, is optional in Scrum, but highly recommended to have a product vision. But the, the product goal, I would even use the, um, the elevator pitch format with that, but you can also use the business problem statement. Um, uh, I see a lot of that in Lean UX. So what's nice about the business problem statement is you can, uh, you can put in measurable success criteria. So not only are you saying, why are you doing this, but you're, you're, you're saying, well, how would you know that you're on the right track and how would you know that it's going well? So long story short, when I was working with Stefan, what he came up with, um, he came up with a protocol and um, I said, Stefan, please don't, uh, please don't go to the team and say, this is the protocol. Um, this is my personal opinion, I don't from the wrong opinion. I said, uh, Stefan, when you go to the team, I want you to tell them if you think this is not really a very good protocol and you'd love them to come up with a better one. And, and you know, send them off into breakout groups and do this with stakeholders as well. And uh, they do, they, 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 they do come up with a better one. And uh, then what you've achieved is you've, as a product owner, you've, uh, you've lit up the fire inside uh, the team and inside the stakeholders. And together we know where we're going. We've got a direction uh, that we need to go in. And uh, it should be about the why. And I might mention the what, it should be mostly about the why. Uh, but not about the how. A lot of people make the mistake there that they they talk about outputs and high-level deliverables straight away without even talking about what problems we're solving, what opportunities we're trying to uh, address. All right. So let me know if I've answered that well. Then. Thank you. Great. And there's actually a follow-up, um, a different goal-related question here. Um, mm -hmm. How do you define a sprint goal if your PBIs and sprint backlog are not really related to each other? Yeah, that's tricky. Um, sometimes you might be working in the Scrum team and the dynamic might be that 
you're not so much of a team. You might be a group of people who happens to be working together and you've got individual pieces of work that the work is kind of divided up and so on. And uh, that's not something that we recommend. It's not a, it's not usually a good approach, but on the assumption that you're talking about a team that is, it is a proper team. Uh, what, what's my litmus test for that? Well, I asked the question, you know, do you, do you care about each other's work? When I talk to the developers, do you, and I talk, I mean developer in the generic term as in the scrum guide, um, do you care about each other's work? And if they say they don't, I kind of know that I'm dealing with a bunch of individuals, but on the assumption we're dealing with a, a team that really is a team. Yeah, sometimes there can still be situations where you have items that are difficult to kind of put together into a sprinkle. And uh, I think there's one kind of useful heuristic to, to remember, and that is kind of like the way, the, the way not every product backlog item in the product backlog has to be for the protocol. Equally in the sprint, not every product backlog item in the sprint has to be for the sprint goal. So you could actually have a sprint goal that's maybe addressing maybe, I don't know, 50, 60% of the work that's actually in the sprint. Then maybe there's other work that's uh, business as usual stuff, or there might actually be some work, some work for delivering value, but the sprint goal helps us to understand that if, if, if for example, we discover that we're running into trouble because we're, we're dealing with complex work and there's an element that we don't know what we don't know sometimes, we, just, we discover uh, complicatedness and, and complexity, uh, sometimes we might need to have a, the developers might need to have a chat with the product owner, but well, this is pretty difficult. We're going to struggle here to deliver this two options to the product owner. Number one is simplicity. Well, okay. I want to, this is our goal. Is there a simpler way to achieve that goal? Can we achieve the same outcomes with uh, different outputs? Or it could be that maybe there's a decision about uh, those items that are in the sprint that are actually not directly related to the sprint goal, they might uh, not be as much of a priority in the sprint. And we might be saying, we're going to zone in on the ones that are really driven the sprint goal because that's what we're trying, really trying to achieve in the sprint. Okay, great, thanks. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, yeah. So we're going to switch over to refinement. So what kind of activities are involved in product backlog refinement? So for me, just to give a bit of context, uh, product backlog refinement, in my opinion, is about getting a common understanding of the work. So what are we trying to achieve? What opportunities are we trying to take advantage of? What do we need to learn? And the importance of product backlog refinement to me is best exemplified by a little story in a country I worked in a few years ago, where we did a sprint review and at the end of the sprint review, a lady at the back of the room said, why did you build this? We tried it last year, it doesn't work. And so there was a kind of collective head and hands moment, like, why, you know, we thought we were getting early feedback with the sprint review, but we would have got even earlier feedback if we brought the customers and the end users and the product backlog refinement. So it's really crucial that developers tried to get customer end user contact uh, to reconfirm what are we trying to achieve? Uh, what are the opportunities? What are we trying to learn? Uh, is there a problem we need to solve? So you're trying to clarify, clarify that, the why, in other words, for the work. And uh, then you essentially need to break down the work. Uh, some work might not fit into a sprint. 
according to our definition of done, the definition of done is kind of like the checklist for how we do work around here is our quality standard, if you like. And so when the team is, is doing sprints, not only do you not want to have a situation like that story I told you, where someone tells you after you built it that you, you shouldn't have built it. Uh, we could have clarified all that, but also you need to break those product backlog items down so that they fit reasonably well into a sprint. There's a, there's a, there's a few heuristics out there. Um, uh, some people say between six and 10 items in a sprint, but when you've got many teams and on your product, uh, better heuristic to avoid analysis paralysis might be maybe four uh, product backlog items per team per sprint. And uh, you don't really want a situation where you have, you take in a product backlog item, it's like an elephant that takes over the whole sprint and, um, and, and, and ones that are elephant size tend to not just take one sprint, can take three. So um, product backlog assignment is about getting a common understanding of the work, breaking down the items. There's some really good one pagers out there, spitting guides, so you can break down the work based on, you know, walking skeleton first, for example, and then you know they add the meat and the bone later on. Uh, but even after applying those heuristics, some some teams say to me, "Well, I still can't break this work down. I can't make it down, break it down any further." And there's a little trick from specification by example, uh, or behavior-driven development, or automated test-driven uh, development. And what you can do is for your product backlog item you can list off examples. And so you might come up with some, I don't know, 13, 14 examples. And so you come up with these examples and uh, we said, we have the people, the developers that say, well, yeah, that's gonna take three sprints to do all that. And I, I say, well, well, can we just do the first example? They said, well, but we know we have to do all. I said, okay, you think you know you need to do all of it, but can we just, can we just do one example and uh, get some feedback because maybe, what we're thinking is not what uh, what is needed. I love what Rich Hundhausen says about the sprint review. He says, it's an event where people get to see what they don't want, but what they asked for. And that's the nature of things that people struggle to articulate what they want. And so really what you want them to do in product backlog refinement is get that common understanding to break the work down. So it fits in neatly into a sprint according to our definition of done, you're not squashing work into a sprint. And so you wanna make sure that essentially when you go into sprint planning, you're almost bored looking at these product backlog items because uh, you've been talking about these for uh, for so long and you've been, you know, some teams estimate, some teams right size of using Scrum and Kanban, for example, they might uh, count the number of items, but they might ask the question, well, does this one fit within a sprint? Is it, is it too big? Is it, one, is it one or too big? And so they might want to break it down. So that's, uh, Lindsay, that's what I would do. And the little secret sauce for me would be uh, using examples to help you break things down because even when something is still two to three sprints long in your opinion and the team, start with the first one or two examples, just make some progress. And the brilliant thing about examples is that when you get to the sprint review or even during the sprint when you do some testing with end users and customers, you will discover new examples. And so it's, it's really cool that way. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, so this question comes from Jimena. Um, I work in the gaming industry and we have a scrum team with game designers, artists, developers, and testers. How do you manage yeah. team dependencies when game designers and artists need to generate the input for developers? Yeah, I had a training course recently with um, people in a similar situation. And the training course that I was delivering was a professional scrum at UX, PSU. And in that uh, workshop, we talk about how we deal with this problem. 
because essentially what can happen is if you um, if you have say the game designers uh, artists working in a, se a separate team some kind of center of excellence or want of a better expression that can lead to a kind of a, what we call a family feud where there's a lack of understanding there's a lack of appreciation between the artists and the uh, the other developers and the testers and, and the team and uh, what we do in that workshop is we talk about well we need to have one product backlog uh, that uh, all of the work is is, is on and uh, when we do sprint planning we're planning for artwork as well as we're planning for development work and uh, all the other kind of normal work that we do and uh, all of the events would have a focus on the art as well so the daily the daily scrum uh, we're looking at the sprinkle, how we're, uh, how we're iterating, iterating towards the sprinkle, how we're making progress towards the sprinkle. And we can have art and UX on the agenda in terms of, uh, you might say, well, uh, what customers are we meeting today? Or who do we need to prototype this with? Or who uh, do we need to recruit any people that might be suitable personas for, for this game and so on? And so what we basically teach in the PSU workshop is to get rid of that family feud. And essentially the artist uh, UX people would be on the team as normal developers on the team. And uh, my opinion is that, that what they do is they teach the other developers in the team that are not necessarily strong in UX or art. They teach them a lot of their, what, as much as they can of what they do. And uh, yeah, okay, the, 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 the non-artist and uh, non-UX developers might never be as good as the, uh, as the as the uh, the specialist in that area, but maybe there's some things they can do, like maybe they can take notes when we're uh, when a customer end user is uh, testing a prototype or looking at a game or when we're trying to understand what's going on. So our recommendation would be you'd have them all on the one Scrum team. Uh, in addition, though, what I'd recommend is that you would consider uh, professional Scrum at Kanban because the reality is that you will be dealing with three time horizons there. You, there's a natural order to things getting done. And unless it's like a really super duper high performing team where you can get all the art, the UX, the development, the testing all done in one sprint, a lot of teams are on the journey to getting to that position. What they might do is they, 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 might, uh, they might be looking, they might be doing some look ahead. So there's uh, in the team, we're doing some look ahead with art, we're interviewing customers, end users, we're doing some prototyping, uh, but we're also we're maybe trying to discover ideas that we should never build. That's the beauty about PSU, actually, that it's like you're limiting work in progress for free because, as Marty Kagan says, even if you're really brilliant as a, as a product owner, a product manager uh, in, his, in his parlance, um, you'll be wrong 70% of the time. So you can, you can use experiments to discover which ones you should really build. You can really be evidence-based and build up some, some evidence about what you shouldn't uh, necessarily build. So... Uh, highly recommend that workshop. I've kind of uh, tried to summarize it as best I could in just a few minutes, but essentially the product backlog, the sprint backlog would show the work of all the people involved to deliver the work. You might use a Kanban board for uh, what's coming up next. What are we actually developing right now? What are we experimenting right now? And you might have another time horizon, which is that stuff that we released last sprint, how are people reacting to that and uh, what, kind of, what kind of outcomes do we achieve? Because remember, we want to be outcome-oriented at the end of the day. The key thing really would be to make sure that you don't fall victim to people setting uh, fixed dates that sometimes are you, uh, in, in life there are deadlines, we get that. 
but also you need to be aware that if, when you set these hard deadlines, you're essentially um, restricting the ability of the team to do discovery, to do experimentation, because you're basically telling the team that they have to deliver it anyway, regardless of the customer's end users say, which is not a really good situation to be in. So it'd be really good in your product backlog refinement to have real customer's end users involved so you can be really empirical about what to do next. I hope I uh, answered that question. Let me know if I didn't. Great. And there was actually um, another kind of follow-on question to, um, to what you were talking about with using Scrum and Kanban together. Um, are there, can you name some other reasons to start using them together? To start using uh, Kanban and UX um, together, you mean? Kanban and Scrum. Oh, yeah. Um, when I talk about adding Kanban to Scrum, I, the metaphor I use is like adding rocket fuel to your team. Um, a typical Scrum team, a really good Scrum team, might use a thing called constant whip. So they just do one product backlog item at a time. They might bring five items into a sprint, but they focus on the first one. They deliver that, they deliver it. Happy days, you're done. You don't need Kanban for that. You can, you're doing, you know, when you're essentially limiting work in progress, you're being very focused as a team. You're swarming around that one item and you're getting it done. Uh, if you're in a situation where you, you feel in the team, you need to be doing two or three items at the same time, or to say the five, say, let's say, for example, there's five, and you decide to focus on two. Uh, the real advantage of Kanban is uh, you kind of bring in this uh, philosophy of stop starting, start finishing. So even though we have a sprinkle, we know we need to achieve that. But just because uh, we start something sooner doesn't mean that it's going to finish sooner. In fact, that's a common thinking error. And a lot of people don't realize that actually, that if you actually limit the amount of work that you're uh, 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 focusing on right now, that work will actually go through the system faster and your throughput, uh, how much stuff you're delivering will go up. And when your throughput goes up, you find out sooner whether you made any change in customer end user behavior and other you discover whether you got outcomes sooner. So adding Kanban to your Scrum uh, helps you to deliver those outputs faster so that you can find out you're getting outcomes faster so you can basically pivot uh, faster. And what Kanban really adds as well is it gives you four measures of referred to as metrics, uh, which really help you with your planning as well, because you might be able to move away from story pointing. Story pointing anyway is something that's actually a complementary practice that Scrum is not part of Scrum at all, but most of the world seems to be using it. A lot of people are using Fibonacci scale and so on and so forth and t-shirt sizing and all that. Uh, the problem with, uh, with, uh, with um, effort estimation is that most people don't consider waiting time. How long will I be waiting? Uh, a colleague of mine in New Zealand uh, years ago, he said to me, John, that's going to take 10 minutes, but uh, things are so bad around here, I'm going to say two days. And that was actually a genius answer. He understood that there was very little correlation between how much effort there is in actually doing this work and how long it takes. So with Kanban, what you can do is you, when you add it to your Scrum, you can, you can essentially measure the throughput, how many items we're delivering per sprint. So instead of looking at story points, you could say, well, we normally deliver five to six items in a sprint, so why are we bringing in 20 in this sprint? It kind of gives you a litmus test for kind of questioning. Now, we know that some things are bigger than others. We get all of that. But in Kanban, all we really care about is, does it fit within our service level expectation? And in a Scrum context, that would mean is, does this fit comfortably within a sprint according to our definition of done? Do we feel we can work on this? If so, we don't need to break it down into a tiny item. We can 
Um, let's just focus and let's just deliver. Let's just deliver this. So you can add probabilistic forecasting to your scrum. You can deliver faster. You can find out if you're delivering outcomes sooner. And what a lot of people don't realize is not only can you uh, improve your delivery within the sprint, but you can actually expand your Kanban board upstream and heaven forbid downstream. Hopefully you don't have anything downstream. Hopefully you're delivering a potentially shippable or valuable, useful, usable increment. So you just deliver, you just ship straight away. But usually there's a lot of work upstream. And so you can you can stretch your Kanban board uh, up earlier in terms of where, where the ideas are coming in the first place and visualize uh, the options that maybe we might be looking at next. And um, so adding Kanban to Scrum doesn't just improve how well the team delivers what's in the sprint backlog and delivering the sprint goal. It also helps you to improve uh, visibility of the value stream and uh, also give you better metrics as well about how long things really take. Great. Um, thank you so much. Um, so this question um, ties to something you were just talking about, but this is more in relation to Scrum in general, I believe. This question comes from Steve. He's struggling to get the team to add story yeah. points to their stories. Um, is it something which they have Sorry, I messed that up. Um, it is something which they have not historically done. Um, he says, I appreciate there are a few strategies like planning poker and Fibonacci sequence, but what yeah. would you advise? And also at what stage are these allocated at refinement or sprint planning? Got it, okay. So my personal opinion is not to estimate at all. Um, to, uh, to right size, um, I'm very influenced by the Kanban world. So, and uh, given that um, uh, estimating work using story points, for example, is, is actually a complementary practice, you don't have to do it. So I tend not to do it. That said, uh, I recognize sometimes that people might not be listening to what I'm saying and they might not be, um, they might not be ready to listen to that message. And so what I tend to do with uh, teams like that, normally during product backlog refinement, uh, I like to use uh, story mapping as a technique. For me, uh, a product backlog is a single list. It doesn't really work for me. So I like to uh, have a multiple dimensions. So typically what I would do is I would start with the product goal. So what's our product goal? We talked about that earlier on this call. And then I would ask the, uh, the product owner and the developers to look at the product goal and can they break that product goal down into different outcomes or effects or sub goals, if you like, uh, within the product goal? So they list them out and they're probably in kind of customer end user journey steps, if you like, in the product. And then we break down those outcomes effects into high level deliverables. Some people call them ethics, but there's no term like that in Scrum. Some people would kind of break them down to high level deliverables. And so you'd say product goal, outcomes effects, and then honor each outcome effect, some high level deliverables, big, hairy product backlog items, if you like. And then you break each of those high level deliverables, if you like, into smaller product backlog items. A lot of people might call them stories. A lot of people use user stories. You don't have to use user stories either. But um, so what I tend to do is when the, when the entire product backlog is on the wall, um, I put up a scale of t-shirt sizes. And I usually map the t-shirt sizes to Fibonacci for effort. And uh, I don't stop the sizing when it gets to extra large because it could be quadruple extra large. And if somebody's coming up with some budget for this, we could be completely underestimating the budget. So 
Uh, what I do is I, I work the team and the product owner and the stakeholders are there as well. And it's usually the developers and the product owner. I say, what's the smallest effort on the wall here? And I say, oh, that one over there. Any other one like that? Yeah, that one, that one, that one. Okay. And then I say, okay, we, have you run out of those small ones? I skip every second size. I skip small, medium, I skip medium, large. I say, okay, the next one's going to be medium. Then. So what's the, can you see a medium one? Yeah, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Okay, and then so on and so forth. And within 20 minutes, the entire, entire product backlog has been effort-sized. And then what I do, I do the same thing, except with value. So value is relative. It's very difficult to come up with that directly. So uh, I say, what's the least valuable item on the wall? Oh, that one, that one, that one. You get the same idea. 20 minutes later, the whole backlog is value, value estimated as well. And then I ask the team to divide the value by the effort. Like, no, I cheat a little bit because when I talk about value, I also consider risk um, and learning. And so I kind of dividing those two. I use that as, and I ask the team to kind of divide value by effort and they get a rough ranking of the backlog. And so now we've got a, a wall full of work that's been estimated, but it still doesn't mean anything because it's all arbitrary. So then what I do, and I do this with every team that I, I, I help to launch, um, what I do is I say, okay, um, which items do we think we're going to do on the first sprint then? And remember, we got we talked about our definition of done, checked us for how we do things around here. So according to our definition of done, which we're going to respect and we're going to continuously improve, um, which of those items, because uh, the most critical items will be at the top of the story map, you know, the most critical ones will sift up to the top. Uh, so which one of those do you want to, do you want to work on? Uh, we can think we can do that, 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 that. Okay, and then I asked the team, so how comfortable are you? I used various techniques to figure out how comfortable they are. And based on that, uh, if you just translate then, whichever item they picked, you can see how many story points are in those items. It gives you a rough order. You know, if they picked 100 points, for example, and the sprint and the backlog is 1,000 points, uh, well, it's going to be at least 10 sprints, and it might even be longer than that because we usually suck at estimating. Uh, we're not very good at estimating at the very start. And uh, what I tend to do is, you know, what would be, what would be, I talk about what would be our worst sprint and what would be our best sprint and kind of use ranges. And that's typically how I would do it. Uh, but uh, I prefer not to. I prefer to have the product backlog still break it down. And uh, when, if we are doing some sizing, I prefer to say, well, does it comfortably fit within a sprint according to a definition of done, in which case we need to, don't need to break it down. And the size of that is one. Uh, or is it too big? Uh, in which case we need to break it down, or is it uh, no way? In which case it's very risky, and we should be uh, we should have an urgent discussion about that, particularly if it's a high ranking item. So that's uh, that's how I tend to deal with that uh, situation. Great, thank you so much. Um, this next question comes from Rob. It is um, performance metrics driven. Um, yeah, our leaders, VP directors, are asking for help assessing scrum team performance and driving improved performance beyond velocity, which isn't a great measure of our team's performance. How do I show teams are providing greater value? We deliver IT solutions, not any products that are sold um, and compare teams and individuals performance as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky one. It's something I happen to specialize in uh, measurement. And uh, there's a there's a fantastic uh, paper from Scrum Dodoro called Evidence-Based Management, which actually focuses more on goals now and experimentation than measurements. But it's a very it gives you very good lenses to look at uh, current value. Uh, how well are we milking the cow right now? Uh, the metaphorical cow for our product. 
and uh, unrealized value, uh, looking for the cow that uh, we haven't found yet uh, when our current cow runs out of metaphorical milk. And uh, time to market, which is, you know, how quickly can we deliver and all that kind of stuff. And then ability to innovate, which I prefer to call inability to innovate, um, because a lot of those measurements tend to be negative. You know, how much technical debt do we have? If, you're, if it's software, do we have a good path to production? Things like that. If it's uh, non-software, what kind of risks, issues are in the way in terms of us uh, delivering and so on. Um so, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there, Lindsay. Just remind me of the question. I'm having a bit of a scene at the moment. Oh, sorry. Um, I, okay. I actually, I dismissed it, but here it is. Um, so. Um, Happens to us so, all, especially at my age. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so, um, Beyond velocity, which isn't a great measure of routines. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm back on track now. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's also uh, the, the logic model, uh, which I really like from the WK uh, Kellogg Foundation. And uh, they've got five different categories for measurements. So inputs, for example, uh, what kind of budget do you have? How many people do you have in the team? Uh, maybe uh, what feedback are we getting from customers and users? You, you could consider that as an input. Could also consider that as an outcome. Then they have activities. Uh, be careful if you measure activities, you get activities. Uh, so, for example, if your team is using story points, but because there's pressure in the organization, people are saying um, that eight point item. Uh, can we can we split it because uh, you know we want to get credit for the work we did? And uh, I, I just asked the team, well, the, is it done? And they said, no. I mean, you get nothing. It's zero. But if 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 it's a situation where teams are actually taking points when it's not done. Um, that's not their, That's not a very transparent way of showing progress. And so I would just consider that activity, not even outputs. Um, so there's activities. Uh, some activities are good to measure, like uh, how disciplined are we are running at our events? Are we doing product backlog refinement regularly? Uh, maybe are, if, we're, if you're using Kanban as well, are we using probabilistic forecasting? There are some good activity measurements and they're not all bad. And then there's some output measurements. Uh, one of them would be, say, story points to done. So you've actually delivered stuff or uh, the number of items you've delivered, uh, number of releases you've had, number of bugs you fixed, things like that. And then there's outcomes. Probably outcomes is a bit of a lag because you have to release and then you have to get feedback before you know you, know, you got the outcome. So did we reduce costs? Was the customer journey uh, more streamlined? Uh, did less customers drop out at checkout and things like that? Team morale, I consider to be an outcome as well. How's that going? And then there's impact, which is more kind of organization-based, kind of too big for a, a normal scrum team, unless you're a startup or something. Too big for a normal scrum team to have an impact like profit and so on, employee engagement and so on. So uh, it's really tricky. It depends on the level of readiness for agility you have in your team. And um, some teams struggle with outcomes. And so what they do uh, is they use... Uh, these uh, leading measure of the number of items they're delivering, which can be troublesome as well because teams might make the items smaller, but that's actually good. So as long as the items that are being delivered are valuable and they match the definition of done, counting the number of items mightn't be a term, mightn't be the worst measure in the world, but still you, know, you have to be careful because you could end up having a feature factory if you're just measuring the amount of stuff you're delivering and not actually checking whether you're making any difference to the customer, the end user, if you're solving any organizational problems and so on. 
And so you need to be really careful. Uh, ideally, if you're measuring outcomes, are we making a difference? What are we learning? Um, so a, a measurement I love is, you know, how many experiments do we have? How many learning learnings do we have from experiments? I also love uh, how many impediments are we removing? Or I, I also count the number of impediment boomerangs, they call them, the ones, the impediments that we said that were fixed, but they came back and they, they hit us in the face. Um, it's really tricky, but um, uh, ultimately, uh, what would be a lovely measure would be how inspired people are, because um, wouldn't it be, uh, you know, as, as uh, someone said to me at a PSM2 class in Brno a couple of years ago, he said to me, John, I was talking to a product owner the other day, and a product owner said to me, do you know, if they make me work the old-fashioned way again, I'll leave the company. So he was so inspired by working with Scrum, he didn't want to work any other way. And so you might do all the measures in the world, but that's not being captured. So it's uh, try to uh, maybe experiment with SenseMaker, maybe from Kinevan, because uh, they've got lovely ways of capturing uh, the noise uh, and the vibe and the atmosphere and so on. What, uh, the one thing I would say that you should avoid is avoid league tables or uh, in football the football leagues they have league tables one team is better than another try to avoid that try to avoid embarrassing people uh, what i tend to do is i tend to do the measurement in private with each team i will just tell the stakeholders overall how the organization is doing but i won't embarrass any roles i won't embarrass any teams because as soon as you embarrass people in my opinion the game is over uh, people are just going to find a way to game uh, the measurements so be careful we're picking too few measurements uh, because well, we know what levers to pull, but also be careful, be careful about making it too complicated and, and too kind of burdensome. Uh, but sometimes the, uh, the, the more valuable measures are the ones that are the most difficult ones to measure. Sorry, it's a very long answer. It's a fairly, <laughs> fairly deep topic. It is a very deep topic. And I, um, yeah. I added the link to the evidence-based management guide Thank you. in the chat for everybody. Um, so take a look at that. I'm sure you'll find some helpful things in there. Um, yeah. So um, these next couple questions are around kind of, kind of team dynamic issues. Yeah. So this first one here from Pauline, um, my team is having a hard time understanding that they are a self-managing team and want to go back to old ways and habits. Any advice on what I can do to help them understand and move forward? Maybe some advice on how to empower her teams. Well, that's a really interesting one because I need to understand more about the dynamics. But I'll have a guess and I'll make some assumptions about what's going on. Feel free to um, add um, context into the chat, Pauline, too, um, to help us out. Yeah. So what, what I see happening a lot is a situation where leaders tell teams that they are empowered. And then they're empowered until they're not empowered kind of thing. So it's kind of like you're empowered, but you're not really empowered. And sometimes people smell that and they get that. And so they feel that uh, Agile is just for people in teams and you do Scrum, you do Kanban, you do Scrum at Kanban, you do Scrum at UX. But us leaders, we, we won't change. Now, there's lots of really good leaders out there. Uh, so I don't want you to be thinking that we've got lots of bad leaders out there, but Lots of really good ones, uh, really inspiring leaders. But sometimes what can happen is uh, we haven't been clear about delegation. And there's a lovely technique from Management 3.0, uh, which is also covered in the uh, leadership classes from the Professional Agile Leadership Essentials. And it's lovely. I, I won't do it justice here now, but essentially uh, you can say that delegation is actually a spectrum. It's not like you are empowered. It's uh, it's a spectrum. So 
uh, from like number one, which is the, the, the boss essentially telling the team what to do, which isn't some very scrum like, but that might be the situation that you're in. Uh, two, said that the boss is actually telling the team, but they're, 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 they're just stressing up with selling. They're, selling. they're trying to convince the team to be fair, but they're not really kind of uh, that tuned in. Then there's a very sense of progression where the leader is essentially uh, genuinely trying to get insights, but one, two, three would be uh, manager, leader decides. Uh, four would be the team and manager, leader agrees, uh, which I think is a bit of a cop-out. Um, and then five, six, seven is more the team decides, uh, but there's a spectrum. So a full seven will be the team would decide. So for example, if you had a situation where um, you're doing scrum in your organization, um, but your manager actually doesn't believe that you should have full power to decide what you do in the next 24 hours, which is what it says in the scrum guide, it would be good to find out through delegation poker that actually the manager actually is, is turning up to your daily scrum and maybe they shouldn't, they turn up to your daily scrum, not because they want to listen, but because maybe they want to sell to you as a team what you should be doing for the next 24 hours. Um, and um, uh, I, f I found this exercise really valuable um, and I, I often regretted that I didn't do the exercise earlier. You can pick a few different decisions like, you know, uh, holidays, uh, booking holidays, you know, who decides, is it the people on the team or is the, is the manager? Or it could be uh, uh, learning, how much learning time we have. And there's lots of other things as well, um, consulting the customer and things like that. So by running that exercise, you can find out actually uh, the position of your leader manager in terms of what they really are delegating and then at least you'll understand if they're uh, for the decision you want to be uh, empowered for uh, as developers if you wanted to be a straight seven full delegation but actually your managers at two so so pauline uh, actually um she provided a little more context thank you um, she said the boss is not very involved in the team they just like old ways and being told what to yeah. do <laughs> that's what i was i was yep. uh, that's what i was kind of guessing yeah right so even doing this exercise you might actually find that the leader will be transparent about how much power they're really delegating for each of these decisions at least you'll understand then and if it's two for sell for example when you want it to be a straight seven for full delegation what i tend to say that manager leader is not you know you're a naughty uh, naughty leader for not giving a straight seven that's not very helpful. What I tend to say is, what do we need to do as a, as a team to get to a three if it's two or if it's to get to a four if it's a three and so on? So you try to nudge them and you also try to understand how they're far they're really going. Now, the other thing as well is that uh, you're, if you have an agile coach or scrum master working the team, what's the difference between an agile coach and a scrum master? $200 per day, a little joke, but uh, it's kind of true. Um, but if you have a really good Scrum Master, they should really be working with your leadership team as well because Scrum Masters work at all levels in the organization. I should be working with them and explaining that actually an Agile leader is trying to create an environment where agility can really uh, grow very well, which includes, by the way, fixing problems, uh, helping teams fix problems. When I hear uh, manager leaders saying uh, you are empowered and you are empowered to fix the problem, sometimes that's not entirely true. And what I prefer to see is, you know, if the team has really tried and Scrum Master has really tried to solve some issues and they've been escalated to a manager, what I don't like to see is the issue getting pushed back down to the team saying, I'm bored. I prefer to see the, the manager leader taking an active stake and trying to re resolve some of the issues in front of the team because a team will feel that it's just a little bit of a game, that they're just, um, um, it's a bit of a charade. Um, if they think that the agile game is just, 
for getting more juice out of the teams. Um, if you want to be really authentic about agility, um, the Scrum Master really should work with all of the organization, explaining, understanding how Scrum works, what we expect of agile leaders. We do have fantastic training courses in Scrum.org as well that help along with that. And I actually recommend both the uh, PSU class, Scrum at UX, and the Professional Agile Leadership Essentials class for manager leaders, uh, because both of them are actually really good leadership classes. Great, thank Colin, you. Let me know if that helps. Thank you. Um, now, these two questions here kind of add on to that whole team mm -hmm. dynamic theme. Um, this first one is How does one increase ownership in a team if all team members are shared team members? And then, this other question is How do you encourage a quieter team to speak up and voice their opinion and concerns? Okay, so it sounds like with the first question, um, you got this situation, I hate this word resource, where people have shared resources on a team. You call me a resource, I'll call you an overhead as a joke <laughs> to respond to that. Um, and yeah, that's really difficult because to, to really, Scrum is about focus and focus is one of the Scrum values and the, the protocol is about focus, the, uh, the sprinkle is about focus. Now you might have some people on your team that they've got such rare skills that they can't be everywhere and maybe you only get you know 15% of them or something like that. Or uh, there are some lovely patterns, by the way, like Nexus that help you to deal with that kind of problem. Um, because a lot of teams in the world are what I call a layer of cake teams instead of slice of cake teams. And so Nexus is a beautiful pattern for helping you to deal with the dependencies between teams. And, and some people, you might even have some part-time people on the Nexus integration team that's helping the entire Nexus to deliver the product together, deliver a valuable, useful, usable increment at the end of the sprint. Um, so I, I would look at uh, explaining using, there's a lovely chart. If you, if you Google Jerry Weinberg, he died a few years ago. He was a fantastic consultant. He wrote a book called The Secrets of Consulting and then More Secrets of Consulting. Absolute genius of a guy. And uh, he, has, he has this wonderful chart and he shows that if you have one project that you're working on, Scrum is about product development, but let's say he and Jerry Weinberg was talking about projects when he did the chart, right? So he said, if you're working on one project as a team, you're 100% focused on that project. So you're, you're getting it done quicker. But then if you have two projects, you're not 50% focused on each project because you pay a tax when you take on an additional project because you actually lose about 20% productivity and you kind of go back and say, like, oh, what was I doing again? You know, you saw me having a senile moment earlier. Can you imagine if what I'd be like if I was going between two projects? But when you get to four or five projects running concurrently, the productivity of the team goes near to zero. Um, and so there's a danger there that a lot of people who aren't yet educated on agility and scrum think that we should be maximizing the utilization of our people as what they mean is keeping you all busy. So to see me idle for half an hour, oh, John's available for half an hour. So, oh, you better give him some extra work. So let's give him this extra work. Okay, so John's doing this now. But if I need somebody else in my team to help me with this, I might have half an hour, but I've just overloaded the rest of my team. So that's actually a bit of a folly. And so uh, this is the other beauty about doing professional scrum Kanban, by the way, because what you can do is you, you, instead of trying to make people busy, you try to make people focus. So they actually get more stuff done you get the stuff done quicker, so you get more stuff done. And so we need to stop starting, start finishing. And this nonsense that I see about people trying to metaphorically fill the motorway with cars, you know, surprise, surprise, massive traffic jams. The same thing happens when you have 
teams overloaded with work and really there needs to be some serious effort to prioritize. There's one, uh, one uh, company I worked with recently and they said they prioritize their work. They said, really? Oh yeah, okay, that sounds great. Yeah, they said, uh, yeah, some of the work is, is, is really important. So we, that goes really fast. And the other work that isn't prioritized, we still started, but it just moves slower. That's not prioritization. That's a cop-out uh, because uh, every all the work goes slower when you do that. So prioritization means we're deciding what we're not going to do. And so if the, t- if the organization becomes more outcome-oriented, if they and you can you can achieve that with PSU, um, Scrum at UX, also freshness coming Kanban, getting quicker delivering your outputs, so you find out you got your outcomes faster. That will help you to prioritize because value at the end of the day is all relative, and we don't know whether we actually have value until we get feedback. And so all the stuff that we have in our systems, all these portfolios, all these different products we're working on, at the end of the day we're gambling on potential value. We actually don't know how valuable it is when we get some feedback. So uh, prioritization is a big thing. So uh, when I work with Agile leaders, it's really about how do we, how do we uh, maybe half the number of items that we've got running in progress. Uh, a lot of people don't want to hear that message, so I might let them bleed on the system for a while, but I say, don't bring anything new in, turn off that tap and uh, let the system normalize and then maybe let teams work on half what you think they would normally work on, which sounds ridiculous because they're not utilized but they'll actually get stuff done more quickly and um, and the work will go through the system quicker. I learned that from Chris Matz, who's a pretty famous Agile guy. So I, uh, maybe you can try that. I hope that uh, answer helped you. Okay, great, thanks. Um, this next question is kind of interesting. Um, how can we convince our organization that we should do Scrum, although the organization is not using Scrum still, they are getting value from the client and they are completing tasks on time and client is happy with us. So it sounds like things aren't going too, too bad, but they still want to convince their organization to use Scrum. Okay, so I'm going to give my personal opinion here. Uh, my personal opinion is I don't try to convince anybody to do anything. And what I do is I talk to the people involved and I try to figure out what the context is what's going on and is there something they need some help with and if they for example want to get more effective if they want to deliver more value uh, if they want to uh, increase the valuation of the company or they want to disrupt other companies um, um, that's great and then you know scrum is a fantastic strategy for doing that it's the most popular approach on the planet and uh, you can actually do, have discovered to deliver with scrum you can do scrum at kanban it's such a beautiful uh, framework that uh, allows you to achieve lots of things but typically what I would do is I would uh, run a little exercise with the stakeholders and what I would do is I would get them to look at the Agile Manifesto values so we talk about the values give them the history of the Agile Manifesto and so on and then I would give them the 12 principles of the Agile Manifesto and in breakout groups I would ask them to sort them could they give me their top three and their bottom one and so we can get lots of hints from which Agile Manifesto principles they put to the top. Might give us some indication uh, what's at the top. Um, there are some things that you really need with Scrum. For example, um, if uh, the top three uh, principles are interesting, but the ones I'm more interested in is 
which one would they like the least or which one did they dislike the most? Which one of those 12 principles did they dislike the most? And if, for example, I discover that attention to technical excellence is something that they hate, uh, we might struggle a little bit with Scrum because with Scrum, we've already done increment and it's just about quality and it's about uh, being effective and uh, not leaving stuff that we're not proud of behind us. And it's not just about delivering widgets faster. It's about being more effective. It's about being more adaptive to the market and so on. And so we might get some hints. Now, all is not lost if they say they hate attention to technical excellence. I might then pretty much say, well, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good road to hell, if you like, or to dystopia. Um, uh, because essentially what you're doing is you're setting up a situation where you, if you're a software situation, you want lots of automated testing, you want continuous delivery, you're going to have lots of drama in your releases. It's going to be, you might become a lethargic as an organization. It's going to be a re- very, very painful. What I tend to say to people is, even if you don't like it, you, you, you kind of have to do it because if you want to be not disruptive by someone, you kind of have to do that. But there might be some other principles that might give, give us some hints about what they like. And if I'm encouraged by some of the principles that they like and not too put off by some of the principles that they don't like, uh, maybe we can explore Scrum as one of the options to help to improve the agility of that organization. So that's my personal opinion. Great, thank you so much. I think we have time for maybe one or two more questions. Um, here's an interesting one that came in from Arun. Um, if two scrum teams keep blaming each other for issues and not resolving their dependencies, who should resolve these and how? Ooh, so I'd love to know if they're in the same product, but it sounds like they're in the same product. So blame game isn't really great for agility. Um, I love what Lego do. They don't blame those who make mistakes. They blame those who fail to help or who fail to ask for help. Eve Mario gave a wonderful TED talk about that. Um, the Relay Race, it's a pretty famous uh, TED talk. And in Scrum, we have the Scrum values. And the Scrum values uh, essentially uh, give a personality to the spirit of Scrum. And together, we get trust. So I use a monomic uh, Fokker, like meet the Fokkers, except it's C instead of a, uh, instead of a K in the movie. Um, and somebody will say frock or fork. I, I like monomics to remember them. And so focus, we need a team to be focused. They need to be open about what's going on. They need to have the courage to talk about what problems they've got. They need to be committing to the definition of done, committing to uh, having regular sprints and so on. And, and committing to lots of other things, meaning to sprinkles and so on. And, and also they need to be respectful uh, to each other. And in, in, in life, in normal life, people say you need to earn respect, but actually with Scrum, respect is um, expected really. Now that doesn't mean we're gonna have full respect. I mean, there's a lovely retrospective exercise that you can do in the Scrum Valleys where you can ask people to self-score. And this would be a good exercise to do with the two teams actually and get each team to self-score uh, how they think they're doing on the scrum values. Uh, and then they'll be thinking about themselves, their own team. Uh, and in the 2020 guide, there was a nice change because the change was the scrum values don't just apply to our team. They also apply to stakeholders, but in this case, also to the other teams. Uh, and, um, and you might get a different score. And so well, we might think we're great uh, at Scrum Values within, within ourselves, but actually when we're working with other teams in the same product, it can be a problem. So 
I think here there's actually a manifestation of a different problem, which seems to be that uh, you've got a number of teams working together and we probably haven't found the best way to synchronize the work of the teams. Um, if you have over three teams, typically you might apply some kind of a scaling pattern or descaling pattern. Uh, I personally like less, but I also love Nexus. And Nexus is probably the most simple pattern on the planet uh, because what you do is if you have, let's say three scrum teams, uh, they're all depending on each other. They're layer of cake teams and they want to deliver a slice of cake at the end of the sprint. Some nice, valuable, usable, useful increment at the end of the sprint. Um, what you can do is you can have a Nexus integration team which would have representatives from each of the teams. So developers on the team, not scrum masters, right? So people who are actually doing the work and, and what you can do is the, the, the whoever represents from the team could be a different dep person depending on the heat from the dependencies. So if there's a particular heat on UX, for example, a particular heat on art or a particular heat on some particular component, uh, you could uh, change the constitution of the Nexus integration. It's like a virtual uh, scrum team, if you like. Product owners in there, there's a scrum master. And what they do, they've got two jobs. Job number one is to minimize dependencies between the teams. You can do that, try, they can do it through reordering the product backlog. That only gets you so far. And so what they end up doing is they end up nudging people. You know, um, Joe seems to keep getting asked to Mary's team a lot. So, you know, should we chat with Joe? Is he, would he be okay with moving over? Or should Joe actually move on to the Nexus integration team? So we don't tell people. We might nudge or, you know, get people to see that it's kind of a nonsense, all these dependencies that we have. And, you know, we might make things easier if we kind of uh, reorganize slowly. So Nexus is like a backdoor to slice of cake teams. It's a nice, gentle way to reorganizing. So each team within each team is cross-function. They can deliver that slice of cake within each team. And uh, that's really, really nice. The second, um, the second job of the Nexus integration team is to deliver that slice of cake at the end of the sprint. That's uh, uh, compliant with the definition of done. And so that's how I would deal with that situation. And Nexus, there's a lovely paper to go along with it called, uh, if you search cross-team refinement in Nexus, it's got the most beautiful way of visualizing dependencies that I've seen. I've seen all the dependency boards where you got, you've got uh, teams doing this work, you know, team one, team two, team three, and then you've got the different sprints. There. And we know in Scrum, you, you don't kind of predict what's happening in the next and beyond the next sprint. And we can't even predict the, the next sprint to be honest. Uh, we're just, you know, because we're dealing with complex work, but we do make some kind of an effort to say, well, this feels like it might be happening in the next sprint. That might happen to sprint out, that that might happen in two sprints time. And we're trying to line up our docs so that if I'm depending on your team, that maybe maybe your team needs to deliver that dependency first, and then maybe my team can pick up the work that's depending on that. So we're trying to be more sensible, unless they just smash teams together to, to work on the dependencies together, which works very well as well. Um, but then you need, uh, for both of those, you need trunk-based development. You, you need to be avoiding uh, branching of your code, if you like, um, so that we're not working in separate independent branches of the code. We're all working off trunk with maybe very short branches, all right, but three, trying to make sure we're uh, continuously integrating and finding these uh, issues as soon as possible. But actually, it all comes back to product backlog refinement because as someone said to me last week, uh, a blockage impediment is often a dependency that hasn't been visualized well enough in advance. So I highly recommend you look at the cross-team refinement paper uh, on dependency management uh, with Nexus. Awesome, thank you so much, John. Um, thank you everyone. We are actually at the top of the hour already. There are 
quite a few questions that we did not get to. Um, so I will be sharing these with John after the webinar um, and then he can address them um, separately. Um, but thank you so much for coming with all of your questions. Um, this has been a really fun session. Thank you, John. Um, and please continue your learning um, by visiting our free resources on the scrum.org website and feel free to reach out to us with any further questions. Um, thank you so much, John. And thank you everyone for joining. I hope everyone has a great um, rest of your day or evening. Thank you too. Take care. Bye-bye.